It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast. And we're halfway through our season of 14 episodes that we're calling A Taste of the Countryside, in which we're celebrating food and drink, and especially those farmers and local food producers who work in harmony with nature and the environment as they go about their business. And this episode is the perfect blend of tradition, harmony with nature, and a delicious end product. We're heading deep into the Somerset countryside to enjoy a gentle summer's day on a cider farm in the hamlet of Shepton Montague. Our own Annabel Ross met with Oliver Dowding in his orchards to discover delightful tales of apple trees, cider making and a marvellous method of natural pest control. There's a very nice smell of, smell of um, apples in here. Hi, I'm Annabel. Nice to meet you. Do you have a name? Lee. 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 Hi, Lee. <laughs> what are you up to? Uh, pouching cider. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And where's that going to go? Uh, it goes into three litre pouches. And so we're then making... We've got apple juice, which is in 330ml or 750ml bottles. Mm. And that's our wild orchard apple. And then here we're looking at some pouches that have just been pasteurised, because when you put the cider into the pouch, if you don't pasteurise it, it'll perhaps start fermenting again and then it'll blow up. Which we don't want they are looking very full. That's definitely because, value for money. Oh, they're hot. No, they're, they're hot because they've come out of the pasteurizer, and so they expand, and then they'll contract back. When we, so when these we'll will go, in, them tomorrow. go into cardboard boxes, yeah. or they yeah, go they as just they like are. That. Okay. And they're a handy carry pack. You can oh. just carry them around, and they work really well. And lots of us cider producers use them, but it's a, it's a great thing. Uh, is it what percentage is it? Our cider is all at six percent alcohol. I don't even really know what that means. That sounds quite low. Is that no? Six percent is quite high. Oh, quite most high. most sort of beers in pubs will be in the four percent to four point five percent range. Six percent is quite high, but if you do a proper cider, then that's what it would probably come out at if you ferment the whole thing through. Whereas a lot of the ciders people get is much lower alcohol. Sometimes because they've stopped the fermentation early and back sweetened it with maybe apple juice or something. But a lot of the time, because the big big producers will be diluting down something that they fermented very, very quickly to create a 14 to 15% concentrate in six weeks or less, and then they'll water it back down. So your major ingredient will be water in those ciders. Mm, you just won't taste that. it. We no, don't want these that. will be 100% cider content. I think, um, for the sake of the listeners, we might have to rewind a bit. That was me who just came in like out of nowhere. But um, yes. <laughs> Oliver, uh, where are we? <laughs> we're, we're currently in Apple HQ in Shepton Montague. So we're between Bruton, Wincanton and Castle Carey. So, so, so then we've got, over here we've got um, the so finished in... labelled pouches. We've also got all the apple juice that we made last year that's still got to be sold because we won't have any fresh juice until probably early September. Uh, we've also got our low alcohol apple juice that we make. Um, which is under 1.2% because at that level the government get excitable and want duty 
from what you do. And then we've also got a brand that we've created out of that, and we're calling it Somerset Breakfast Cider, which is this one over here. <laughs> Encouraging people to have cider for breakfast. It's only over. very low alcohol, but it's exactly the same as the northern French do, so in Brittany and Normandy. Breakfast cider is quite a thing. They oh, To have with your yep. eggs on toast? Yes, which will be very low alcohol, but they do that. And so that's what this is. And has, is it taking off as a breakfast drink, do you know? Um, we're just trying to cultivate it as one. <laughs> but we've been doing the low alcohol juice for about three years since we okay. had a happy accident when some began fermenting that hadn't been bottled, some apple juice, and we tasted it and really thought that was going to be a thing. And it has, it's working well. <laughs> a lot of people seem to like it. That's great. That's great. I love that idea of breakfast. In the same way that we've got low alcohol for many drinks, you've got people doing zero alcohol gin which, you know, to a lot of folks seems an anathema, but it's, it's something that some people want. No, it's fair enough. So I think that's fine. And so the low alcohol thing is quite a... Yeah, quite no, a, I think that's market. a good thing. I think, that, yeah. I think that we're going in the right direction mm. in some ways. I yes. think it's a good thing. Yeah, we don't need to get plastered. No, absolutely. We just need to enjoy the taste yeah. and, and have it with our, with our... Well, in France, probably with their croissant. And that's why we're pleased this, to have won... been awarded a couple of weeks ago the gold for the, from the Taste of the West for both... For the apple juice and for both our dry and medium bottled ciders. The Gold Award? Yes. Oh, from who? The Taste of the West, That's which is a, a con, con, uh, conglomeration of lots of producers from right through Gloucester, Wiltshire and everywhere, and Dorset and everywhere westwards. And so every year there's a, a judging session where they, they assess people's products and award uh, gold, silvers, and commended, and so on. Congratulations! And we, we won three goals. That's that, brilliant. That's good. That's great. To go on top of our last year's success with the cider, where we won. This is the bottled cider. The gold that people winner. People can't see, but it won the gold medal in Somerset in the cider competition, and then it went forward from there to the national championships, where there was a thing called the People's Choice, where you've got a thousand people over a weekend tasting six gold medal winning ciders. And they pay a pound for the six samples, and they say which one they liked, and, and we won that. You're winning. You're um, going from strength to strength. Yes. How do you get? It's just you and Lee. I can't believe it. Okay. Yeah. And well, Jane. But it's not just on that. There's a farm and there's a whole orchard to maintain. So there's lots of things outside. Are we going to go and have a look? And we're going to go and look at them. Yes. Um, um, how did you get into this? Because weren't you a dairy farmer? I was. I was a dairy farmer, and from all this land around here it was for cows, arable crops. Um, and we basically had 300 cows, 400 acres of cereals and some vegetables and various things. Um, and then life changed eventually and I, I, I had, the farm was sold and I had to change tack. And I'd already planted the orchard in 1995, the first orchard of an acre. And it was a, a great opportunity to do something different. And that, that I took to back in fact 2010 and started growing actually we'll just walk this way down through the trees yeah we'll fight through the long grass yeah and lovely so in 2010 i made a first bit of cider from the apples that are the, the, the older trees which are now 27 years old and that turned out really quite well and i was to be honest i was a bit surprised because <laughs> i'd never made cider before but i'd borrowed my brother's press and so the next year made a bit more, uh, made it again, and, and just kept on doing that. And then, before we knew it, we'd got a situation where everybody liked it. And I'd also made some apple juice. And we were 
developing that. Then got to about 2016, and Jane came on board, and she was adamant we needed to re- rebrand and up- make it a proper business, and it worked. It has been, and so we've got a proper label now. Everything looks much more professional. And every year we've made a bit more apple juice and we've got quite a big market now. In The apple juice is the bigger part of what we do. The cider, apple juice more than the cider. More than the cider. Um, I just have to stop you for a second because we're walking through, um, presuming some very young apple tree yes. orchard, but the grass is up to my waist. Yeah. Is that normal or is that something that's quite a new concept of having very, very tall grass in an orchard? No, we haven't got around to topping it yet. <laughs> And it's I not like my own you're doing a, some sort of wildlife project. No, uh, no mow may or no, anything. No, but you could see it that way. But we let's say it is no mow mm. may. You, yes. you say you haven't got around to it, but you don't want to mow in May. Anyway, we don't do want to mow too often, partly because it's very expensive when you've got to hire the kit, um, but also because leave it. I just yes. want to do it fairly soon because we're standing right in front of a dock plant, and I don't want them to be seeding. That's what I'd really like to avoid. Yeah, these. Are, yeah, there's a lot of these dock. But the so grass is We will beautiful. top it fairly soon. The grasses are lovely. Yes. Um, but these trees that we're walking through, these are the ones we planted two, th- two years ago. Okay. Um, there's some further over that were like this spring. Actually, these were this spring here. And then these ones were two years ago next, that we're going to walk through. Oh, that's, and, that's good. And then we're getting the ones that were three years ago. And we'll go through into the main orchard that was 27 years ago and through the gate into the one that was eight years ago. So we've been building up our stock of trees and we're only planting, eating and cooking apples with a very few ciders, but mostly it's eaters and cookers because we want to have domain over our own fruit for the apple juice, which is harder to get hold of, whereas cider apples, there are an awful lot in this area that aren't used. And so we're able to source them from sources that are as if organic, so no chemicals used, no fertilisers, and that ticks our boxes. All of our farm has been organic for 32 years now, and so everything that we produce is organic, but because we go to lots of gardens, schools, we even go to the National Trust at Montacute, different places where they aren't certified organic, we can't use that as a description of the product. And that's fine. That's how it has to be, unfortunately. It doesn't bother you. Well, we know how people are producing what we use, and that's the critical thing. They're as near as organic as we are, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately we can't certify 30 or 40 different other places. can't certify everybody. No. And so if you don't certify them, you can't certify your product. This is, sorry, I'm stopping here as well, because we've just come out of the young trees. I was going to ask you about the young trees. How long... Does a, how many years does a tree have to be before it starts producing for you? Well, we'll be going through into the ones that are in their eighth season, and they've this year got probably the first sensible-sized crop on them. Okay. So it's a long time. It's you eight. might get fruit in years five and six, but it'll be very developmental, and you don't want to overburden a tree at a young age. And all our trees are planted on M25 rootstocks, so that means that they will grow to a 25-foot tree whereas a lot of people might be planting them on really quite short-bearing rootstocks, so the tree will only be about seven or eight feet, and it'll be all pickable from hand height. Whereas because we're picking for juice, we're going to not worry about having to knock apples off a tall tree. Oh, it doesn't matter. So what are the varieties? 
here we've got uh, we've got Sweet Coppins, we've got Harried Masters Jersey, we've got Dabernet, Yarlington Mill, and Browns, and those those are the varieties you'll find a lot of in this part of the Somerset. Okay. They're the cornerstone of what we produce. We use Somerset red streaks from another orchard, and we'll also use some Bramleys in our a cider. So none of these mature trees that we're looking at have got any apples on them right now, right? Um, no, they have. They have. But okay. we'll go and look at some of the younger trees where it's, they're more explicit. So but these... You will, you will see little apple, little applets have just formed. They're probably where we're looking right now. We won't find one because we're <laughs> looking for it. Pollen, pollen. Oh, yeah, these have got little babies. Yeah. So, so there we are. Oh, yes. There's a lovely little cluster. So yeah. They're, what, the size of, they're about an inch across, nearly. Size of a, yeah. Your first bit of your finger. They'll be ready... This one here is a beauty of Bath, and it's one of the earliest trees in the orchard. They'll be ready in mid-August. Oh, gosh, OK. So yeah. we'll probably start juicing then because we're going to need it because I think we're going to be running out of some of our supplies. OK. But that, but the only drawback with the beauty of Bath is it's so early, it's also very popular with wasps. Um. And so I've always in the past let the wasps have that and they usually eat them and then they're gone. We don't see them again. Yeah, you've got to share For some share strange alike. reason. Um, so, yeah, this will be very early. And so the varieties we've got here are early, mid and late maturing. But when you do have a, a, a tree ready for harvesting, um, do you sort of get the village around and say, come on, it's time, can you all come and give mm. me a hand and I'll cook you some dinner? No, what, we, what, we, we I did, like to think of the old-fashioned. In the very early days, we did, did that a little mm. bit. But we're now doing, it's a two-, three-month campaign, so it's a fairly long thing and you need five, six, perhaps even seven people to, to see it through. So we're looking for local people who've got some time. Mm. It'll be an inter- interwoven gang. They won't all be here the same day. And we have to juggle, and it's getting harder to find those people say, is it who are harder? able to dedicate time. And we, we usually end up with Lee, and somebody else will be in there helping out as well. Jane will be very much part of it all. But the actual picking fruit and doing that, we, we just have to find people at that right time. And we'll probably use woofers as well, so that's working weekends on organic farms. It's an organisation. Weekends on. Or, would you like anyone to sort of let you know if they're available? We're always welcoming Where, people. When are yes, the, when's, the, when's, the wind, when's the window? The start now. Start oh. inquiring because oh. we'll want people from, say, late August to. through to early November. Okay. And you Where will they sleep? <laughs> well, it depends who they are and where they come from, but okay. we find. You'll like, look after them. Yes, and sometimes they stay with us. You'll look after We've them. We've got somebody who'll come up from Poole who's been for. This will be his third year. Do woofers get paid? They do get uh, they get board and lodging. Yes. And the organisation works on the basis they do 20 hours or thereabouts for the host and then the rest of the time is theirs. But if they do more, then they get paid. OK. So All right. OK, it, it, good to know. You vary it according to who you've got, really. Yeah. OK, good to know. Well, there you go, everybody. Come down to the beautiful part of Somerset. It is for a few weeks. Yeah. Well, you don't have to come for the entire time, right? No. You could sort of no, swap no. it in and out. We a have bit. people who come for two or three weeks. Often the early part will be students who haven't gone back to uni, or people like that, or even children not have gone back to school. Could be those sorts of things. But generally, it's people who are looking for something a bit longer term. Do they learn anything when they're here? Do, do, do you sort of they learn talk? how to make? harvest apples and make lovely apple juice and cider they do okay they get involved in the whole process absolutely okay no that's quite fun i mean there is something very magical about being in an orchard anyway they're very magical places Mm. aren't they for some reason i don't know they just are well they're giving you all this amazing produce Mm. and so you know when you're very grateful when when i'm looking at these trees here with the amount of fruit they've got on them 
the and the trees have always got a name based on who thought who who the vicar was who invented it or bred it first or whatever. The vicar normally it there was are a several vicar. vicars varieties okay. we got in here. We've okay. got Reverend Wilkes, okay, and for one, and and also then you get this seasonal thing of for between years. So trees can quite often be biannual in their productivity, and also last year because. If people can remember back, uh, April last year we had 23 frosts. So everything was incredibly within late. Within the one month. Within the one month. And it was very, very late. It luckily didn't stop fruit set here. But if you get a frost at the wrong time, you can have a frost early May, one night at minus two, and that's your production gone for the year. So it's a very fickle thing in the one There's that nothing sense. you can do. You can't put a blanket on a tree, no. can you really? And so last year a lot of people had really poor crops and this year the blossom has been phenomenal and I've actually seen people going through their orchards knocking the blossom off some of the some of the trees or re- to reduce the load and to give the tree the chance to produce something next year that's the theory oh I see because okay that's an interesting if you look theory. at some of the younger trees when we go through into the other orchards you'll see they're basically carrying too much fruit and so the thing that the tree will also do is in June there'll be June drop and it will shed some apples. It might go through into July. It doesn't matter, but it will drop some of its fruit because it knows what it can carry. But having said that, it'll probably be too much. And then you might end up with big clumps of, of apples, but then none of them are growing particularly big or big enough. Mm. It's just a chance thing. You don't know. The best tree in this orchard, we've got one. It, it's definitely a biannual. But last year, it th- we got 650 kilos of eating apples off it. Mm, can we go and see it? What's it One called? One tree. Is it a got? A, is it a vicar? It's a, no, it's a Worcester pear main. Worcester pear main. Yeah. So we're walking under a Bramley tree now. So oh, Bramley. Okay. Apple. Well, that's a familiar we, name for us, isn't it? We use the Bramleys in our juice, and there'll be a proportion. Uh, we base it all on taste at the time, and then we'll also be having some Bramleys in our cider. So we need lots of Bramley apples as well. This is the tree, this, and I suspect this year it's probably got very little fruit on it because one. it gave, there'll be some. But it, There's a few, yeah. There are some. But you see how you've got one, one apple there, but you've got three blind sites. So yeah, blind sites they're called. Is that, they've, they've, they're they not going to develop, or they, no, they died no off. They probably never got pollinated fully. I was going to ask you, and, and do we worry about, the, oh dear, okay, maybe that's a spider's nest. <laughs> I was just putting my fingers saying, do we worry about this? But it's a spider's nest. No. So no, the spiders that's fine. are our natural it's, predators yeah. amongst other things. We want them. We want them to eat the... We want them to eat coddling moths as, in is particular. Is that one? Coddling moth? Is that a coddling? Um, I don't know. It's gone it's again. It's a moth. Like a... Um, but coddling Sorry. moths are not a, no friend of a of an apple farmer because they get into the top of the apple and lay the eggs and the bug sits there. And but that's we, it, the apple's completely... We've used pheromone traps in the past, but to put enough traps around this entire orchard would be prohibitively expensive. And we're not selling the fruit as a culinary fruit, so we have to accept we're going to get a certain amount of difficulty oh, when we do get you? the Okay, moth. so there's a certain percentage that you, you know you're going to yeah, lose. And, and conventionally people spray orchards to do that sort of thing and keep control over what they're doing. And you will not be doing um, that? No, we're organic. Exactly. There's no way. And there's nothing else we can do. But when you look at the trees, they're big, they're healthy, and you know we, we get nature's harvest. Yeah, they're beautiful. Am I right in, in saying that there are certain bees that pollinate certain trees and certain... Because I know that there's an ashy mining bee that likes to pollinate apple trees, or is that yes. getting a bit too specific? No, there is one, one particular bee, and I'm going to forget its name now, <laughs> but it is... 250 times more 
valuable as a pollinator of apple trees some, than the general regular honeybee. Yeah. So it's, if you could get them, but they're, they're generally a solitary type bee, so you can't actually keep them in hives. You can't no. you know, farm them in that way. But you, They'll find you, though, if won't you've they? Got, yes. And so we've got one hive that a neighbour brought in uh, who does a lot of beekeeping. And so she brought a hive about, I don't know, six weeks ago. And they've been busy, as, as you can imagine, while the pollen was at full blast. OK, is that the first time you've brought in a, a, a hive? At that time, yes. Okay. We've had a hive at different times, but mm. we haven't been very successful. Um, but she's a professional beekeeper, so... Those ones seem to be doing very well. Mm, I wonder if it's the ashy mining bee. If the name comes to you of the other bee, just yes, say it. I will. Out loud, in the middle of our conversation. There are so many different bees yeah, I know. that people don't appreciate. And so you get the solitary bees. Um, last year we had a swarm hang, hanging on one of these branches. Oh no, the year before, sorry, two years ago. Nice. And, it, and we just harvested Wild that honey one. Bees. Just, yeah, dropped them down. Yep, and put them in the hive, but they didn't stay forever. Didn't like it in there. No. I felt trapped. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's lovely, this orchard. So you've just... Well, I don't know when you've and cut... We, but you've... we have to bear in mind, we are here on the 31st of May when it is a lovely day. Um, well, what are you saying? It's not always lovely. No, sometimes you get, <laughs> you get wet days and you get... You know, and, and you, you don't get, want to be here. No, you get cold days. And so if you're here in mid-November picking the last of the cider apples off the ground when they're... Some of, some of them are bruised and squishy and your fingers are cold. It's not such great fun then. So it's, it's that whole thing where we have a, a bit of a cider with rosy kind of vision of how the countryside yeah. is. Yeah. Whereas in reality, there are lots of other things that aren't so good. Are there months where you just leave them to, to their own? Oh, look, this lovely blossom there. Oh. Gosh, how beautiful. Lovely. What's this? Which, is, which variety are we looking at here? Do you know? yeah. um, I don't know. I think this is a Harry Masters, but if you yeah. see here, this is a very late pollinating, a late yeah, blossoming late tree, blossom, mm. and so it's only really just finishing. But you can see already you've got some of the fruit setting, and that if that all sets, we we've got a mega crop Bumper coming crop. on. But there you've got fresh blossoms, not even out. So this will be a late harvest for this yeah. tree, whereas the Beauty of Bath and the Brownleys will be much earlier. Well, that's so, got to be that's, a, that's that's part of the plan, presumably. Yes. You don't want to be harvesting all on the same. Correct, and you've got to then stage where you're harvesting and what you're doing because you always want the apple to be at its full ripeness. Gosh, the mistake oh a lot of people make, and, uh, and I know another another cider producer, and they they deal with ciders coming off people's lawns and so on, and people get very prissy about it. And as soon as there's an apple on the floor, it's, they they see a need to shake all the fruit off the tree, and they're not ripe. And so an unripe people, apple is not going to make a nice juice. No, it'll be too sharp. Too sharp. We too want sharp. it to be as ripe as possible, sweet as possible. But it's got and to be... the way you know yeah, when sorry. an apple is ripe yeah, yeah. is you've got to cut it and it's got to have dark brown pips. And the numbers of times I've had people come to me with apples and say, Can we, these ones are ripe, aren't they? And, and they're not. And you've really got to be patient. And a certain so proportion... So you take one off and you cut it mm. and then you think, mm, maybe the rest of them... Well, and you've got to wait really until a proportion probably have fallen from the tree and are on the ground. And then you know that everything is really coming right. And you'll lose that little bit on the ground, but you'll know that the rest of the tree, that crop is fine. But some little animal will come and eat that those it'll, ones on the it's ground. Nature's or... bounty. Yeah, yeah, you can share it'll a share be, alike. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I know people who who do that, and then they they see the birds that come in in the winter, and they just thrive on what they've got there. Yeah, beautiful. beautiful. So now we're walking <gasps> over the Gosh. top of the tributary of the River Brew, 
which is why we've called the cider Tower Brew, because in the distance you've got Alfred's t- King Alfred's Tower at Stour Head. Which, you, which, which we can see which, from, where, the far, from the top of the first orchard. Oh, we should have. We should have um, the River Brew is not looking very flowing No, this today. is a tributary <laughs> of the River Pit, which runs into the River Brew, okay. and it's, it's dried up. And it's done that for the second year running mm. very early, and I'm mm. not sure why, although I have a theory, which is probably best not no, aired now. No, it looks damp, but it's not looking very river-like. Yeah, no, no let's not... Yeah, I, I, no. And so mm. we're now walking through into the orchard that was planted eight years ago. Oh, these are looking very big. And beyond it, you can see where we've extended it this year. So you've got two... This is the first levels. planting of those down the other end. Okay. These are a Hereford russet. Yeah. And again, we can see Lovely. see a lot of fruit on the yeah. tree. There's, a, there's going to be a wow. big harvest off this. These were all pruned again last winter. So the apple farmer's year goes from blossom, summertime nurturing the orchards, keeping the weeds under control, and then you get, before you know it, you're into harvest. What, as soon as you've harvested, you want to be into pruning the trees to cut back overgrowth where you've got branches crossing and, and basically overburdening the tree letting light uh, and wind okay. into the middle of the tree. Okay, so that's the and thing that about the overburdening you were talking about, is the pruning, you've got to be... That's quite a professional job. Have you taught yourself the pruning? Yes. Have you? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. And with the wonders of YouTube to help. Okay, just watch a YouTube video and out you go with your shears. It You're... is a bit like that. There's, there's not too much to it. You can do it wrong, and I've got friends who've said, oh, we've got no fruit this year, and you ask why, and you discover they hacked the tree back, and, and it, that's why. Mm. Now we see we've got a buzzard overhead doing some pre- being ca- and being chased by a, a rook or a yeah. crow. Can't see. I sometimes see that the, 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 the rooks or the crows chasing yes. a buzzard. What, I mean, Quite often they'll do that. And they're much bigger than, you yeah. know, they're picking on someone bigger mm. than them. And so this is the orchard here. We're, one of the problems we've always we had in the early days was predator, uh, pre, uh, voles principally. And they would get in underneath the newly planted trees and chew out the stem from underneath the guard. Oh, they wanted the root. They want. They want the stem and the, the root, stem. and they would make their nest there. And they'd also then chew the tree and kill Cheeky. it. Cheeky, yeah. And so Cheeky. we to overcome that, we needed to get some form of control. But because we're organic, we can't use some of the things that might otherwise be deployed. And I don't have a, a shotgun, so I'm not going to go and shoot the voles no, that way. You. That would be a pretty bizarre thing to do. Mm-mm. We want owls to do the work. What kind of and owl? Or any owl. Any owl. Yeah, there any are several owl different owls. Owl. Any owl loves a vole. They do. And so we, we took on, um, with a, or we got into touch with a guy at Pitcombe Rock Falconry in Bruton. And he rescues all sorts of birds of prey. And he's got about 40 there at any one time, but he's got more than that probably in the peak times. And he, he will come out and assess what, or he came here, he assessed what prey we have, what food sources there were for owls when they were active, where they were most active, because he sat here for seven mornings, lunchtimes, tea times, and then evenings, and put up some owl boxes. And we paid for that privilege, but it was the best investment. So he's got- And it totally sorted yeah, everything. So we've got a variety of owls here, which we hear in the evenings, and we've had very minimal vol damage since. That's so so it's gotta be good. When did the owls come in? Um, this is their third year here now. Okay, so yes. now all these trees in front of us, the eight-year-olds, they're kind of surviving. There's a yeah. lot of nettles under your apple trees. Are. are you worried about that or not, really? Mm. I'd prefer <laughs> they weren't there, and I'd prefer it was 
just grass, and I'd prefer we perhaps had some sheep grazing. Yeah. But we're, where we're standing, we're standing on one of several footpaths that run through here. Uh, and so actually having livestock in the orchard is really, really... Cha- would, would you'd be have to fence it all in. Yeah. And, and I don't fancy doing that. So we will go through with a tractor and topper and just keep it under control from time to time. Okay. I mean, that, yeah. It, I, and then you'd have to look after the sheep as well. It's all those Maintenance things. You need and buildings. That, yeah. And then you want sheep there during certain times of the year, but then you want to say bye-bye to them. You can't and borrow some. You could possibly, but they mm. would have to be fenced. It's, it's, it's basically the for the amount of area involved. It's not worth it's it. It's not viable. I mean, what, 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 what size are we talking about, these eight-year-olds? This is about an acre and a half. Yeah. Okay, an acre and a half. And the, no, and pro- no, it's probably a bit more. It's about mm, two acres. Mm. And then the extension is an acre and a half. Mm. And then there's th- four acres on the hill. And we've got about 12 acres in total. Uh, but, but to have a sheep flock, it's another job as well. Did you used to look after sheep? No, I've never had a sheep always on the farm. Always dairy. Always somebody else's. I think, you know, if, you could, if we could have them, I'd, if somebody wants to bring them in, great. But it's not something I've got the time to oversee. And the footpaths are a, a definite problem. And it's yeah. not just the path that's the problem. Of course, it's the people who walk the orchards and sometimes with their not very well-controlled dogs. Yeah, dogs is the big, is the big problem mm. these days. Yeah. Could, could you show me one of the owl boxes? Yeah, we're standing quite close to one. Are we? You, but you didn't know it. Oh, it's huge! Well, that's the barn owl box. So, that one is populated. There is a barn owl. Okay. I have been... It's flown up within 20 metres of me before now when I've been on the pruning ladder. In the the middle of the day? No, this was in the early evening, in the winter. Yeah. But no, it'll be there, having a rest. It's a very beautiful house. Yes. Designed by your friend from the falconry. Yes. Very beautiful. And he does a very good job. Yeah. And so he put installed it in the right place, at the right angle, the right everything. So how many boxes did you say you had? There are four yeah, in different okay. places. And that's enough, yeah. And they're all well, occupied? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Different. So this is a barn owl. Yeah, there's a little owl, there's a tawny, I think, and I can't remember what the third one is, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. <one>. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they feast their way through the orchard, through the on the things that are here that's a wonderful which um, most people walking through here I might add probably and me included you won't see no but it uh, it is I I have once seen a barn owl in my life flying across a field early Mm. evening and it is one of the most dramatic sights but when you see here the amount of buzzards we've got flying around well they'll help with the voles they'll they'll be doing the same yeah and to an extent they're competition for the owls so you're always going to have that nature's balance thing going on, and you can't control that. Perhaps, fortunately, well, very fortunately. No, we the, don't. Well, we we mustn't try and control it. That's the thing, isn't it? Well, some of the worst worst problems that we've got, as a agriculturally or but you know in society, is that we try to control something, and then just like trying to squeeze squeeze an inflated balloon, uh, it pops out in some other place where we aren't in control. And then it causes an even bigger problem. And until we realise that, we're always going to mess around and it's going to be difficult. You can see here, but people obviously listening to this can't, <laughs> but there's a strip of red leaf trees up there, or bur- they're burgundy colour, dark, dark colour. Yeah, they're like beech tree colour almost. And they're, they're the bloody ploughmen that we hope one day to be able to get enough apples off to make some pink juice. Which uh, it will do. Lovely. Okay. And, and so they're pink fleshed. 
pink fleshed. Mm, and they're re- well, they're red fleshed almost. They're red right, right through. Yeah. But it's quite an art form to actually then process it and get it into juice and retain the colour. Is it? But we hope to be able to do that. But it's. Uh, can we go and have a look at them? I mean, do, yeah, so you're saying you, you, there's nothing yet? They're not showing any signs of... Well, this year will be the first year when we stand the chance of getting enough fruit to do something with them. Later in the year? Yeah, in October. Okay. But you've got to be patient. And they haven't thrown... They haven't got the biggest crop I've ever seen on a tree. But as you can see... <gasps> look at them, though. They're, they're, so they're, they're really dark red. They're, beautiful well, they're, colour. They're crimson. Crimson and, and darker than that, even plum-coloured, aren't they? They are. They're dark plum. On the face of it, it doesn't look like there's a vast number. No, I think there's but plenty. If you imagine all these apples being a lot, lot bigger, the tree has got to carry them somehow, so you can't afford to have... Too many. Too many. I think it looks, I think it looks great. I think that... Well, what would I know? What would I know? But Who? when we look at some of the other trees, you, know, you look at the fruit load on the next door tree. Oh, I to see. This, different yeah. variety. Yeah. It's, it's being asked to carry, you know, a crazy amount of apples, really. Every, oh, really? every little cluster of blossom seems to have a full set. Would you actually be quite concerned about this? Well, it, and it there's more blo- there's a yes, fresh it, bit of blossom as, yeah. as well. It may be a problem. We just don't know. What you don't need is a full peak harvest for to get serious wind and then it, all the tree and the tree to be under burden. A storm, so when, and, and then one they... of the things you're trying to do when you're pruning is not prune the shape you see in February when it's got no leaves on, but to imagine what it's like when it's got a a full crop of apples and it's yeah. it's it's forcing it to bow down mm. and, and then it can easily snap stri- it you know. and then snap at a crucial point okay. you're always going to get a tree that will do that though so it's just like people people will have accidents and you have to recover from them as best you can and the same with trees They're i've always, always sort problems. of fantasized about having an orchard of my own and thinking what low maintenance would be but i think i'm changing my mind it can be low maintenance <laughs> but it doesn't happen by accident, I suppose we could say. Look at this so tiny this, one with so many. This tree here is a replacement. So this is three years old now. It's full and of... it's got, what, probably about 40 apples on it? Yeah, but it's tiny, tiny. And it's going to be a, a lot to ask of that little tree to carry that many. So the June drop that I mentioned earlier will mm. be important. Mm. How many it will shed. And there will be people who would advocate coming through and actually taking some other fruit off it so that you, you get a lot of, just right. a certain number of bigger apples yeah. and don't ask too much of a young tree. Because you think it's only a three-year-old. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing for a three-year-old. Um, actually, just apples in general. If I went up to an apple tree, my aunt has an apple tree in her garden. I can't remember which one it is. Mm. Um, people say that if you want to know if, if the apple is ready to eat, you twist it and then it comes off really quickly. Or is that absolute rubbish? No, that's a, that's a good good idea. I don't see a problem with that. It. But the really ready-to-eat ones are obviously, as I say, the ones with the dark pips. Yeah, but then you have to take... You have it to. depends how many apples you've got. If you've only got two on a tree, you probably don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. So I, I think so. that is a possibility. You twist it very gently, and if yeah. it comes off, if, this, if it pops off the branch, then... But there aren't many apples that are ripe until mid-September at the very earliest, probably into October mm. and some varieties don't really harvest until late October mm. and then different varieties as well will have different storage capabilities so sometimes you harvest the early ones they won't keep for a, more than a month or two mm. How do you even keep, with cold storage 
Yes, I was going to say, how do you we keep apples? We have no apples? cold storage, so we have to harvest what we want to juice that just day. Just get on with it. But the ones that we're we're actually juicing, um, you know, any time, we're picking the ripest apples we can. So what? So if we did want to try and keep apples for as long as possible, you wrap them in newspaper and there put them in a all cold. sorts of things. Yeah, people do. They wrap. You don't want them to be in contact with another apple. Basically, that's mm. that's the key thing. Mm. Um, I know people who wrap them in paper, and they do keep for a twelve months, but in a cool 12 space. Twelve months. Yeah, in a cool space. Cold and dark. Dark. Like a cellar. It has to be a cellar. Yeah, a cellar, or even a, a fridge. Stone. A stone building which doesn't get hot as hot in the summer will be okay. Um, in a fridge, fridge gets a bit it would be fine. Would it be alright? But if you've got space in a fridge to keep something for a yeah, I mean, it'd just be nice. To, uh, quite interesting to experiment. Wrap it in a bit of paper and put it in the fridge. Very satisfying to see the lines of your new your well, new crop. I know there are some people who probably think, oh, it's all in straight lines, but one has to top and use machinery, so you want to be keeping everything reasonably straight. It's not oh. perhaps quite right, but it's nearly. Yeah, there has to, you have to be sensible, I presume. You can't have them just it, all over the place. To give you an example, what the boundary of the, the whole orchard is got this stream running through the bottom with trees on the side of it. The trees are good for shelter... And good for some of the things, but they're also um, they, they take the light out. So you've got to keep them under some sort of control, because otherwise, as we look, if we're looking to the south, you can see how some of these trees on the first row have developed a lean away from the stream, because the trees were taking too much light. So that's why last winter I spent a couple of months here or more cutting back everything in the stream that was t- in the wrong place. There was a lot of hazel which was dead. A lot of other stuff that was dead, brambles taking over. And so it was one of those things where neglect can, it, you know, be, some people might call it wild. I call it neglect because you're actually allowing the brambles and the other things to kill the things you actually want to have. So you've got to manage. The you've got situation. to manage it if it's not being managed yeah. by other and animals. On the other or... side of the river, we can see lots of hazel and so on growing up. But it, it grows, it's a, it's a thing that grows out of a, a stump, a clump. So eventually different bits will fall and die and then they they block up things, so block up the stream. So it's just a management exercise and the trees that we planted here 27 years ago are big. You know, these, these were all 27 years ago. These oh, you planted here. these. But, but you also notice something else. Now we're standing underneath at the moment, an ash tree. Oh. And that is going to be the big countryside change this, this coming next five years. Because we can see the left-hand branches, the ones to the west, mm. are dying, mm. and it's got ash dieback. Oh, it looks so healthy. And at least 80% of ash trees are going to succumb, and most of them have. We can see another one further down that's dead, or pretty much dead. And so most of our ash trees are dead. There's going to be some that will survive, and they will be the seed stock for the future, we hope. Mm. But we don't know, and there's nothing we can do about it. They're not at a point where you need to fell them yet, but that's going to happen. So you're going to have to fill this one at some point. I mean, um, actually, yeah. it's looking, apart from a few, since you pointed out mm. those few branches on that side, it's otherwise looking really quite healthy. Yes, it is. And so is this, the one next door that's yeah. even bigger. Yeah. It looks reasonably healthy, but yeah. you can see it's just starting to go. And, and then we see the one at the end there, which is completely, almost completely yeah. gone. What are we going to end on, I wonder? We so talk about the juice and the cider and yeah, how we make it. Yeah, OK, so... So um, we we started in the, in Apple HQ where we have everything 
all the juice to cider. And so in the autumn, when, the, when we harvested the apples, they come in. We've got a hydro, uh, an electric mill, which we squish everything with. Um, then it goes into a, a Voran hydraulic press with layers of apple pulp put into cheeses. And so you build up six or seven of those underneath. Each one has a wooden board between it. Then it's swung round. The hydraulic press lifts up the whole tray and the juice dribbles down the outside and we catch it and it's pumped into a big tank, a thousand litre tank. And from there we then keep it for 24 hours and the next day we will then bottle it into apple juice. Okay, that's... And so that's the apple juice. You make that sound very simple. It, it, it sounds simple <laughs> and in some ways it is. But you've, if you've got the right blend of apples and you get a, a nice tasting juice... Um, that's, that is more or less what's involved. But, but we then, after we've done the juicing, we then bottle it. You have to pasteurise it, and that's where, of course, most people don't have enough uh, fruit to do a serious quantity. Because if you don't pasteurise it before you know it, the bottle's blown up because it's trying to become cider. Oh, I see. Sorry, right, I didn't know anything about so that. So okay. the pasteurisation is a big thing, and so you need ex- you know, an expensive and a large piece of kit called a pasteuriser and to, to cope with that quantity of bottles. You know, we're talking probably nearly 20,000 bottles in oh. the autumn. Oh. So, so how does pasteurisation work? How does that... What, what's the process? Um, literally, you've got water being boiled up, so it's a giant kettle, if you like, and we need to take everything within it, the bottles, the contents, make sure they're over 70 degrees centigrade for at least uh, 20 minutes. And then we know that it's fully pasteurised and it'll be stable then for as long as you want, years if need be. Okay. And that's how, that's how it works, really. So you're removing the, um, any potential bugs? Yes. Yeah. And then after that we end up with making the cider. We do that second because cider apples tend to mature later than eating apples. And so again, same process, squish the apples, collect the juice, uh, put it in the 1,000 litre tank... Check, check it for acidity, for which is going to give you a clue on whether there's going to be a need for sulphites. Uh, we've always got plenty good enough acidity, and so we're going that way. Up here. Yeah, and so there's always enough acidity. We've never used sulphites. Uh, you, in the process, what are you're keeping it. You're, That's in the, you're, in the... Sulphites, they just literally kill bad bugs. Oh, okay. It's a bit like pasteurisation. Yeah. And okay. so, so. In the cider, we're not looking... That's a different process. So for us, we don't pasteurise until we have made the cider. Um, so we're looking to, with the cider, we've got the juice in the tank. Um, 24 hours later, I'll add the yeast. And there it will sit for the next four or five months until we take the, what's fermented, take it out and put it into another tank. It's what's called removing the lees, or the dead yeast at the bottom. And then we will... Uh, Leave that next tank for another six months or more to mature, and then we'll bottle it or bag it or whatever we want to prepare it for the market. Well, it's precious stuff. It's very precious. Really precious stuff. And we're, and I... we're only making 7,000 litres a year, so we're small level, and we look after every, every litre. You didn't learn that on YouTube, did you? No. Well, no. no. Um, I, I, I'm not sure which one I'm going to choose. You've got so many... Options. You've got the still one and the fizzy one and the medium and the this and the... Well, with our ciders, we've got a still medium and dry and a carbonated medium and dry. So actually, oh, okay. we're keeping it really quite simple. And they're all from a similar blend of apples. 
And because we're on small volume, I've never felt a desire to overcomplicate my life by having lots of different individual variety ciders. Not that I haven't made a few in, my, in the past, but only in very small quantity and not for the market. Well, welcome back to the studio. And I'm very pleased to say that Annabelle has come from the orchard hotfoot <laughs> to the podcast studio to join me, Fergus, and Hannah, who helps me make the podcast. Welcome back, Hannah. Hello, Annabelle. Hello. Hello. That was just, that was delightful. There was so much, well, everything you want to know about apple trees and pretty much everything you want to know about cider. But I can't believe he, he talked himself to make cider on YouTube. Didn't you teach yourself how to be an editor on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It's amazing. I, no, I know, Fergus, it is amazing. But I don't know. He obviously has... He's a farmer. You know, he didn't just come out of the blue to teach himself how to make cider. I think he's a very practical man, actually, Oliver. Such a nice guy. Yeah. But it does seem very strange to learn how to make traditional cider from YouTube. Well, he, and he, he had a dairy farm up, up until sort of 20 years ago, I, I, from what he... I, a bit less, I can't remember, yeah. It wasn't very long. I mean, he had yeah. some trees which are over 20 years old. That's but right. then, yeah. then he's been planting since. It's incredible how he can turn around a business like that. From Because I know that area quite well. And actually, I used to live there uh, in not near uh, Wincanton and Castle Kerry, which are two towns either side of Shepton Montague where the orchard was. But when I lived there, there wouldn't have been the orchard because I was... Well, I'm in... <laughs> You're a bit older than 20. A bit older than 20, yes. <laughs> that's I, I, that's uh, lucky. <laughs> yeah, I left there quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I left, I, I spent the first 10 years of my life there. And, um, oh, it's so. a beautiful part of the world. But, you know, you're saying it's amazing how, you know, he's gone from a um, dairy farmer to a cider maker, let's say. And But what I'm realising more and more on these trips that you're kindly sending me on... Um, around the country learning about different, say, farming methods or things, is that there are people doing these small holder productions, like whether it's for um, cheese or cider or Or the old fish farmer. Or fish. And it's normally um, a husband and wife partnership, and that's pretty much it. So unless you're married to someone who's prepared to, <laughs> to do this with you, it's really tricky. And I and I and it may be that's the way forward. It may be that small holdings are growing across the country. I hope they are because I think it is um, possibly the way forward. But it it's really interesting. Whenever I ask any of them, I say, "How do you do this?" They say, "Well, I wouldn't be able to do it without my partner." But that's traditional mixed farming was yeah. always the the family, and um, that's how it would work. And previous week's episode with George and Elaine, they work the farm together with their yeah. daughter. And it's quite a big farm, 100 acres, but they wouldn't be able to do it. I think they employ one or two people now and again seasonally when the need arises. But yeah. you can't can't create... It's not profitable to have more... to have all the labourers of the past. Yeah, so, so it's kind of impossible to do it on your own. Would you do that, Hannah? Work with someone on a on a, some sort of production farm? Yeah, would you go and work... Cider? Probably not cider. It's too much like um, chemistry involved, but something a bit more um, strawberry growing. Basic, like strawberry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's yeah. a lot of chemistry in cider. It's just let it let the natural yeast turn the sugars into alcohol. It seems like a lot of work, though. When you compare it to like 
writing about houses all day. It's, uh, <laughs> which is what you do. Yeah. For oh, which yeah. is what you do. Well, I mean, in winter, I always think about winter on these places must be really hard. But in summer, I do have a sort of lovely romantic image of skipping through the orchard, picking apples. Yeah. Or, you don't really pick them in summer, though, do you? So I don't think I'd be a very no, good cider just, wife. Just wander, <laughs> you, you just wander around scratching just, a chin going, mm, these apples are... Yeah. supermarket apples in the trees just so you could pick them. That's my problem is I go into the supermarket and think, oh, apples all year round. Isn't that mm. nice? Well, that's a podcast on its, on its own. Yeah, that's... Yeah. But um, no, I think I'm not sure sure i i quite like being in bristol being in the city and just enjoying myself i'm not sure I, i'd love to do seasonal work on a farm but i'm not sure i'd like i don't know it's hard it's hard hard hard, well, hard I, work i mean i can tell you from personal experience i left bristol with my wife and family 10 years ago to go and do that sort of live on a small holding and all the dreams of rural kind of grow your own have chickens and for a few years it was absolutely magical but you can't balance, you cannot balance, you can't make a living from it. And it's very hard to balance a full-time job and some land to make it worthwhile. But your tomatoes are blooming, aren't they? Yeah, but I don't have a small holding anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can just throw some water on them and a bit of tomato feed now and again. Oh, so you had a small holding and you gave it up? I had to give it up, had to sell it because it was um, just too much. I would. I had this job, not with podcasting, but editing a magazine commuting, coming home on a summer's evening, rushing onto the land to, to fight back some of the brambles and the bracken that had swamped the, swamped the veg patch. Uh, chop wood for the winter. I used to spend days and days chopping wood because the house was powered by its own wood supply, and, uh, which I loved. And if it was a full-time job, it'd be mm. fantastic. But actually, after a while, I began to pine for... I'd like to just go away for the weekend rather than just serving the land. And so I think I, that's it. How old is your son, Fergus? He's twelve now. So okay. he was yeah, two. You could you could put him to work now. Well he'd be he'd be very good these days, but he was rubbish when he was two. I mean I never got any never got a decent day's work out of him. <laughs> happily, happily, Annabelle has brought some of that summer's day into the into our basement here, where we've got some of the cider. Uh, you were going to bring us more, but I gather you've <laughs> a little a, guilty face. Yeah, there. We're, we're down to we're down to one bottle. Mm. We have just had a heat wave, Fergus. Yeah, you have to forgive me. Um, you're tucked into our podcast cider. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't buy a lot of cider okay. from Oliver. I just bought um, a few different bottles. But what is rem and I bought some apple juice, which has completely disappeared. But what the remaining one I'm sharing with you two, so please be grateful. So grateful. Tower Brew. Thank you for this yeah. gift. So I know the River Brew really well. I've played in it, I've caught fish in it, I've swum in it, I've uh, dammed it, rafted in it. So it's very much this is cider of my homeland. Yeah. Uh, made from brew water or one of the tributaries of the brew. So here we go. I'm going to pour. Okay. It was, there was a little fizz. Yes, there was a little. I didn't. There we go. That's one for Hannah. Thank you very much. Small one for Annabelle. <laughs> so, um, I mean, they have so many ciders, don't they? Uh, I mean, considering there's just Oliver and his wife and the lovely guy who works in the... Oh, Lee. Lee, Lee in the, who in does the, the pouching. In the, in the sort of um, warehouse, as it were. Um, but, yeah, really small team. But they... Um, I wish I had bought... To breakfast cider, but I sort of looked at it rather sort of like, oh, I can't possibly drink <laughs> cider at breakfast because I'm a working, I'm working, yes. I'm working person. I'm, I've got to, I've got to take my life more seriously. And then the next day, I thought, 
it's breakfast now, and I'd really love to have had some <laughs> cider with my eggs on toast. But it'd probably go better with a sort of continental cheesy, yeah. cheesy, I feel cheesy like breakfast. It's with Cheerios is a bit of a cry for help. <laughs> <laughs> breakfast cider and and other other breakfast cereals are available. Are um, you a cider drinker, Hannah? Yes, yes. Oh, well, that's uh, following the... our um, our episode about beer. Yeah. Um, it's the side of you're in a more, you're in your comfort zone. Yes, I was talking to um, Britt earlier on, who also helps us with the podcast. Um, she's recently discovered a very famous uh, cider barge in Bristol, where I spent most of my degree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. So, would you do you think you might get into a bit of breakfast cider? No. 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 No, but it's very low alcohol. It just feels feels so wrong. Really, all the, uh, all those French men and women can't be wrong. Um, I think that's true. It's got to be the way forward. Well, the way the world's it. going as well. I think breakfast cider every single day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a lovely colour, nice rich colour. It is. And it's, um, it's delicious. It's it's delicious. It, um, it's really nice, actually. That's um, very refreshing. It's this is a sort oh, of yeah, medium. Nice. Do you like that? Is that your sort yeah. of cider? I, I'm not a cider drinker, actually. Mm. I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm the yin to your beer yang. <laughs> so I tend not to drink it. But this, I really like this. I think I'd probably like it slightly drier. This is medium, the Tower Brew. But um, I think I like it more, even more raspy on the tongue. And I don't think I'd want more than like half a pint of it. Uh, here's to cider and here's to cider growers who look after wildlife. Oh, amazing. They're so amazing. That was a lovely... Yeah. Um, a lovely tale, particularly the owls. I love the, the the whole owls being used as natural bowl control and um, putting up owl boxes rather than putting up traps. Seems like a great thing to do. And they have three species of owls, so I think that's really good. Talking about owls, there's an owl update from last episode where Britt, who works with, with us making the podcast, had recorded some hissing owls, some owlets, and we didn't know whether they were tawny or barn owls, well, she's just sent us a photo where the, they're, they're barn owls and they've been ringed. So very exciting. So that's the first for the podcast was barn owl hissing. So that's pretty cool. Um, and that was one of our sounds of the week, which um, we love to invite all you listeners to send in any recordings of nature or countryside or odd sounds. It can be anything. Not too rude, but we'd like to just hear these little audio postcards from around the country. And I've got one. I've got one myself because something happened last night. I was sitting inside the house and I heard this and it made me rush outside. Well, I didn't grab my record. I just grabbed my phone. Mm. I was in, I was so excited. I was in, uh, the dog got excited because I was running. So the dog and I got entangled with each other, and we had a bit of a sort of. <laughs> but I managed to get into Sweet. the garden just in time, and I looked up, and there were two birds high, high up in the sky. They're peregrine falcons, <gasps> and so it was a. That was peregrine falcon. That was a peregrine. Yeah. What time was that? That was just late afternoon. Yeah, I just finished my work from home day, and. Uh, was relaxing with a cup of tea and I flew out there. I managed to spot. That's the sort of thing we like. If you hear it, grab your phone, record it and send it in. Uh, so that was, that. I think that was a youngster 
begging its parent for some, yeah. some food. Yeah. I was going to say I thought it was a youngster. And what dog do you have? I'm fascinated. I've got it, an image in my head now of you it, it, it tangling itself around your oh, legs. Oh, he's a, yeah, he's a whippet lurcher. So he's oh, long limbed and very tangly. And very tangly. Oh, yeah. I love lurchers. He's been on the podcast several times, but uh, oh, I love lurchers. Oh, I want to meet him. Oh, you, you, yeah, you're very welcome to have him. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's great, but he's uh, he got excited. Uh, and I got excited. But anyway, please do send in that sort of thing, and you can send it to me. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. It'd be great to great to hear your thoughts, hear your sounds. But on that note, what uh, what have you been up to? Have you been up to anything else? I, I've been must adventuring have some... all over Somerset and Devon. Hmm. Um, yes, uh, I redid my birthday because there was a COVID incident. Um, <laughs> so I had my birthday this weekend and went to Stourhead um, oh. and to uh, various places in Somerset and to Lyme Regis, which was beautiful, um, really packed with I was um, going to say tourists, yeah, with humans, was, humans, um, human animals, including myself. Yeah. Um, but it was a grey day, so it wasn't too bad. It drove off some of the sun seekers, yes. yeah. Brilliant. But it was so beautiful. I'm so used to looking out at the sea and it being the Bristol Channel to look into the sea and it be like the proper sea. Well, the, the other ocean. channel. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's yeah. bigger, it's yeah. it's better. It's um, Brilliant. It feels vast and Well, Stourhead, though, is mm. very close to where Annabelle is. Yes. Really close to Shepton Montague and King Alfred's Tower. So you know the land. And that is a place I know so well. My family albums are full of photos of my family and other animals all at... Stourhead in various poses, eating ice creams and wandering around the... I did a lot of trips to Stourhead in my youth as well yeah. when I was a kid. Um, what did you see at Stourhead? Anything to... Uh, Canada geese. Okay. And I probably saw Wild. more buzzards this weekend than I've ever seen in a single weekend. They just seem to be all over the place. Dorset like I said, Somerset, strongholds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, it was really great. It means yeah. they've got things to eat. Exactly. Yes, we've been to Stourhead, episode 39, long time ago. Had a good wander around there. Uh, actually, a discussion about should we eat more game, which is a quite nice mm. blend. Interesting. Odd, odd blend, but yeah. Stourhead, eating more game. Is it? Are you talking peacocks? <laughs> <laughs> should we eat more peacocks? It was, a, it was a good excuse to go to a very beautiful place, but it's incredibly atmospheric with all these sort of uh, classical follies dotted around. The lake is really mysterious and wonderful. There's lots of grottos and woodland walks and... Very Different English. every season. Oh mm. gosh, it's, it's very English. Did the did did was peacock eaten once? I'm sure it was. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, fond memories of Stourhead, and hopefully we can. Perhaps we should all go there for a picnic at the end of this season. Are you suggesting up. an office party? I am. Yes. Amazing. Office Invite. outing. <laughs> yes. We got budget for that. <laughs> Will there be cider? There can be anything you like, but uh, we will need to take my cheese and pickle Fox. cheese and pickle sandwiches. And cider. Strawberries, chocolate in pockets. And scotch eggs. Chocolate in pockets, scotch Oh, we, yeah. The whole business. A Jack, dream. sorry, apple for Jack. One apple. One apple. Just an apple. <laughs> Jack, yeah. That's all he needs, <laughs> just an apple. So, so there you have it. Um, plans for the future. But for now, thanks for listening. Do get in touch. You can email me, Fergus. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. Please do get in touch. Love to hear from you. And we'll read out your emails in the podcast. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us. <laughs>